Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. All right, all right. Well, it is good good to be here. We've had a couple weeks off church, uh, and it it's just really awesome to be feedback. Uh, every time I come here, like we're driving home after my wife and I, we're just so encouraged every time. So it's, it's good to be here with you. Uh, my name is Tim and I have the honor of uh, sharing with you guys uh, this week. Um, so uh, we'll get, uh, get right into it. We're going to be uh, sharing on God's kindness. And so I'll just start by praying. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us, Lord. Thank you for loving us, Lord, and thank you that you are good, that you are kind, Lord, and that you show your kindness to us. I pray that you'd open our ears to, to hear what you're saying, not what I want to say, but, Lord, but what you want to say um, to everyone, Lord, and that we would walk out of here just loving you more, Lord, knowing you better, knowing what you're like better, and um, just living in your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, as I said, my name is Tim. Uh, I'm 41 years old. Uh, let's see. Um, born and raised in Ottawa. I have my parents are actually here. <laughs> my mom and my dad are here, starring Courtney. Uh, my aunt is here. My aunt Candy. She helped raise raise all us kids as well. Um, my we ha I have three sisters. Uh, Vanya, who's older than me, and then Debbie, and well, it went Vanya, then me, then Debbie, and Andrea. And so, yeah, I grew up only boy, three girls, life was rough, right? Yeah, life was rough, you know? <laughs> uh, later on, when I was like dating and everything, they took credit for my any success that I had with the ladies because they're like, we taught you how to understand women, you know? And uh, yeah, like there is such a thing, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I ended up getting the one woman. Uh, yeah, I wasn't that. I was not that smooth with the ladies at all. But I ended up getting the one woman that counted. That's my wife, Sophia, and she's here. And and we have a lovely daughter, Elo. And Eloise is a year and a half, and she's just the greatest gift uh, ever. Um, so, I mean, whew. I, my parents, I was blessed with really great parents. They're godly parents. They raised us, they introduced us to Jesus at a young age. And, um, and they, you know, started us going to, to church and everything. And I grew up going to church, went to Sunday school and, and, you know, uh, just, met Jesus and, and believed in him and just started going along the way. But along the way throughout my, as the years went by and as I got older and older, I developed a kind of twisted perception of who God was. I don't think it was anybody's fault. I went to a great church, but it was just somehow I started seeing God in a way that wasn't what he truly was like. Um, I started um, developing this kind of performance-based mentality that God, 
I, I felt like that God was always angry with me and that um, I had to do stuff to please him and to stay in his good graces. And of course, if I ever messed up, then it's like I had to grovel and it was like I was out of good relationship with God. It was really based on my feelings and performance because everything else in my life was kind of performance oriented. If you did well on a test, you got good grades. If you didn't, then you got a bad grade, right? And, and just like everything, I kind of started treating, treating God like that and, and trying to really earn his favor and kind of please him by what I was doing. So um, I would, you know, put myself on, on worship team and tried to lead and do like a lot of good stuff so that I would please God. And it never ended up feeling like enough. Like, and then of course, if I messed up, like say I like lied to my parents or I looked at something that I shouldn't on the internet, I, I would just be destroyed and I'd be like, oh, like I'm not good with God. And it would be this up and down, up and down kind of existence. And it was a kind of tortured existence. It, there wasn't a lot of peace in it, and there was a lot of frustration. And I was really big on, like, not being a hypocrite. I got later into my 20s, and I'm just like, I do not want to be, like, I'm not doing this thing right. I'm not good with God. I can't live right. And I got eventually to a point of just frustration. And I'm just like, that's it. And I just kind of, like, turned my back on God, turned my back on church, and I was living on my own at that point. I had a job, I had my own apartment, whatever, and I was just, I'm going to live for me. And I just partied hard and just went after, you know, satisfying my, what I wanted in life. And, uh, you know, King Timmy uh, kind of just took over for, for a long while there. But the interesting thing is that yeah, I had lots of temporary pleasure and I was kind of doing things my way and like, you know, disregarding God. But that wasn't working out for me either because that's like you have these temporary like pleasures, but in the end, then, you're, then you still feel empty and I would just feel empty afterward. And I just like knew and I had this sense of fear as well that like I can't go on living like this. Like there, this is not this is wrong. I, like, I just, I just, there's this fear and this like, expectation of like, oh, like, I, because I still, I knew God was real. That, that's something that I knew. I just, it wasn't working before. So eventually, um, I mean, one of the things that happened to me was um, I was at work one day and a Christian friend he mentioned that there was a church that had just opened up down the road and there was this big buzz about this church and it was literally two blocks away from my apartment from where I was living and I'm like okay like I'll give God I'll give you another try and I started going to this church and it was there that I started for the first time understanding God's kindness to me um, and his grace and I mean, this church, they did like a five-week series just on the grace of God, the, his goodness and kindness. And slowly over time, like I started to get it and I started to receive and my perception changed. And I'm like, oh, God isn't like the way that I thought he was. And um, one of the messages that they shared, it really impacted me. Um, it, was on, it was on this story and I'm going to share this story with you today. Um, 
So let's just uh, set, let's get the setting set. This is a story uh, from the Old Testament. It's found in 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, and it's the story of David, Jonathan, and Mephibosheth. All right. So let me just uh, put things into perspective. Everyone's heard of David and Goliath. Okay, David was this awesome young man after God's heart. Israel had a king, Saul. He didn't really listen to everything that God wanted him to do. <laughs> he was more concerned about his men and, and uh, doing what he thought was best. He didn't obey God. So God said, I'm going to remove you. I'm going to bring in a new king. And this guy, David, he, God chose David. And he was a teenager, and he just started, um, he had God's favor on him, and he just started kind of going up the ranks. He, the whole Israelite army was afraid to um, go in one-on-one -on -one combat against the Philistines. They were in battle against the Philistines. David went in, this young boy, and he killed this giant who was nine feet tall, right? So this is where we'll start. David comes back to the tent, to Saul's tent, the king's tent. He's got the head of this giant, and Saul has a son. This is Prince Jonathan, and he's being groomed to, to take over after Saul to be the next king. But so, Jonathan sees David, and he's just done this thing, and, and he just falls in love with, with David. Um, it says, uh, after David finished talking with Saul, Jonathan developed a strong friendship with David. Literally, Jonathan's soul was tied to David's soul. Jonathan loved David as much as himself. So they, they, they just totally bonded. And I would too, like, I mean, if I saw this David guy, like, he's just amazing. Like, who is this guy, right? And so David would, he just started getting more and more successful and popular. But then Saul started getting jealous because Saul was the, the, the reigning king right there. And he started getting jealous and afraid. And it got to the point where um, Saul started trying to kill David. And um, it got to one point where David comes to Jonathan and he goes like, hey, <laughs> what is up with your dad? Like, why is he trying to kill me? And, and it got to the point where Jonathan knew that he had to send David away, otherwise he was gonna get killed, right? Um, so they have this one last meeting. They go into this field and they have one, this one last meeting. And this is uh, where we're going to read uh, the text. They make this agreement together. Jonathan says to David, because Jonathan knows that David is going to be the next king. It's not, it's not going to be him. And he's good with it. He loves David. And he says, um, May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. So then the story goes on. Um, David runs for, for his life <laughs> for many, many years after that, because Saul is just hell-bent on killing him. And David, uh, he's still not king, promised to be king, but he's running for his life. Um, 
and then one day uh, the Philistines at war with Israel again and Saul and Jonathan they go to battle and they're both killed on the same day David hears about it and he weeps and he laments and he tears his clothes for them and he writes a song for them and eventually David becomes the new king and once, he is, once he's established over the years, he establishes, he's, uh, God establishes David as the king over all of Israel. And then he remembers his covenant that he made with Jonathan. And so we'll read that out of 2 Samuel 9 here. David goes, Is there anyone still left out of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, some son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. All right, so um, we'll just stop here for a minute. Um, Jonathan's son, this son uh, who was lame, his name was Mephibosheth. Everyone, that's a really tough word to say, but can you say Mephibosheth with me? (laughs) Mephibosheth. Say that three times fast. Um, Let me just uh, stop and give a little backstory on Mephibosheth. When Mephibosheth was five years old, that was the day that he got the news that his father, Jonathan, and his grandfather, Saul, had both died in, in battle. And on top of that, the records say that when his family got the news that, um, that Saul and uh, Jonathan were dead, um, they went into a panic and his nurse ran and picked him up and they started to flee. Um, and she, she dropped him and that was when he became lame. So just talk about having a bad day. This five-year-old, he loses his father, his grandfather, at this, the same day, and he becomes crippled. So I'm just, just think about the trauma, especially at like a young age, just kind of losing everything. And then if we fast forward a number of years to where God has established David as king now, and this is where we're at in the story. Mephibosheth is no longer living in the palace with his father, where he grew up. He's living in a place in Israel, far from Jerusalem, called Lodabar. Lodabar, when translated, literally means no pasture. So this was bad land. It's not good land. Mephibosheth is not living his best life. We picture him, he is far away from everybody. He's not thriving. He's the opposite of thriving. He's fatherless and crippled. And he's heard that there's a new king from a new house on the throne that he doesn't know. He probably thought that this new king's house would be at enmity with his house, the old king's house, and would be looking to stomp out any possible rivals or successors, as would be expected in those times. So I just picture Mephibosheth hiding out in Lodabar, 
miserable and trying to fly under the radar, and then finally it happens. This new king finds him. And him saying to himself, well, this will be a fitting end to an already miserable existence. And the king's soldiers come and they take him to the palace to appear before the king. So that brings me to my first point, um, and that is that sometimes we, have, we can have a twisted perception of who God is. We can think God is some sort of way that he really isn't. If we look back in this story, Mephibosheth was not aware of the love that David had for his father, Jonathan. He did not know uh, about the covenant they had made to take care of each other's families no matter what. He probably thought that King David was out to get him, that he needed to hide. Have you ever felt like God was displeased with you? And did that make you want to pull away from him? I know that in my past, like, that's been my first reaction is, like, you know, if I feel that God is displeased with me, if I've done something wrong, I will, I would pull away. Have you ever had a wrong perception of God? And how has God changed that perception for you over time? For me, I had God all twisted. I grew up thinking that God was angry with me, uh, that he was waiting to, for me to screw up, and then he would punish me. And then, it, like, if I got a flat tire, that was because I hadn't tithed the week before. Or uh, <laughs> um, I, was feel, I would feel like I was always going in and out of God's favor based on my performance. So let's continue the story from verse 6 in Second uh, Samuel chapter 9. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops, so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever the Lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. The king's heart was not to punish Mephibosheth, it was to give to him, to care for him, to adopt him, and to seat him at the table like one of his own sons. Uh, oh, and I forgot the last slide, sorry. <laughs> like one of his own sons. I think that is the father's heart uh, towards us. He is searching for us, saying, is there anyone out there 
to whom I can show my kindness for Jesus' sake. In this story, I think there are some good parallels between King David and God the Father, Jonathan and Jesus, and Mephibosheth and us. When Mephibosheth was thinking David was his enemy, David was looking to show extravagant kindness to him. It reminds me of the verse in Romans 5, 10 that says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Sometimes we can get our perception of God twisted, but he has only kindness for us. Brings me to my second point. Our right standing with God is all because of the new covenant that he made. Just like David made a covenant with Jonathan, and showed incredible kindness to his son Mephibosheth because of his love for Jonathan, God and Jesus made a covenant with us, and we are benefactors of God's great kindness because of that covenant. Jesus spoke about this covenant during the Last Supper with his disciples. He took the cup and he said, this is the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And the prophet Jeremiah, many uh, hundreds of years before, he prophesied about this new covenant. And um, he said, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. And he talked about writing his, uh, the Lord's laws on their hearts and minds. And he said, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. And I will be their God and they will be my people. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. Not as we see ourselves. Jesus' blood cleansed us from our sins. He says that as far as the east is from the west, that's, far, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. God isn't punishing us for our sin. He did punish someone for our sin, though. His son. He punished him to the nth degree, to torture and death. And Jesus took all of it until the point where he said, It is finished. God is not still punishing us for our sin just because um, Jesus became the atoning sacrifice for our sins once and for all. And not just our sin, but the sin of the whole world. Looking back at the story, the kindness and favor offered to Mephibosheth had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with David and Jonathan's love for each other and their covenant. Which leads to my third point. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. We receive it by grace through faith. Mephibosheth experienced grace. Um, there was nothing he had done. He had nothing to give. He didn't bring any jewels or uh, anything, uh, treasures. He was the son of David's enemy. Um, this kindness was just out there. It was, he had nothing to do with it. And it reminds me of the verse in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And that word grace, um, yeah, it means a lot to me. It means the, the goodness, the, um, the favor, the kindness of God, the unearned, unmerited goodness and kindness and favor of God. Um, and it's by, by that grace, by his kindness, 
unearned kindness that we have been saved through faith, by believing, by putting our trust in Jesus. Um, Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, it's this simple act. It's all we can do is to, to believe and put our lives behind that belief and that, that trust in Jesus. The whole story ends with another emphasis. We just go back here. It's like we have this wonderful story of um, grace and kindness and redemption. And we're told that Mephibosheth was lame. And then they end the whole story, the writer ends the whole story with he was lame in both feet. And it's just, why, why, why that extra emphasis again on him being lame in both feet? I believe that it's to emphasize that there was nothing that he had done or that he could do that would kind of earn him that, um, that goodness and that kindness. It was, it, was just, it's, it was a gift, and it was something that he wasn't going to have to be able to repay in the future, and it wasn't something that he had paid for. Like, it's just utterly just, just a gift. <laughs> um, I think that's why that emphasis was there. So to close, I want to jump back into the story where it ends. Um, I, pitch, I picture Mephibosheth, this young man, and he's been so damaged, um, having experienced so much trauma from a young age. He's grown up in this place of no pasture, crippled. And I just see King David calling him up to his table, to the king's table to eat with him and to be like a son to him. Um, and I can just see uh, King David telling him, you know, I knew your father really, really well. You know, you look like him. Um, we, you and your father and I, we were best friends. And I loved him very much. Can I tell you a story about how crazy amazing your father was? You know, there was this time where your father, he took on the whole Philistine army by himself. You know, just him and his armor bearer. And... Um, I can just see this young man just slowly, over time, his eyes beginning to brighten and his heart slowly beginning to warm as he spends time with this new king who has shown him such kindness and who tells him about his father. And I think that's how it is with us and our Heavenly Father. He's looking to show his kindness to us, to pick us up, to spend time with us at the king's table and to tell stories and reveal more of who his son Jesus is to us. And slowly we fall more and more in love with him, this wonderful king and his son who gave his life for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are so kind to us, Lord. That life can beat us up, Lord, but you are good and you have kindness for us, Lord. The word says that while, you, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were at our worst, 
you died for us, Lord, and you love us, Lord. I pray that you give us a fresh sense of your love, of your provision, that you would step into our lives and provide for us, Lord, that you would just increase your grace in our lives, Lord. And that we would take those opportunities, that we would take you up, and that we would spend that time with you at your table. And that you would show us more and more about Jesus. And that we would fall more and more in love with you. And that we would live out of that love response, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.